0: Hey, Freeway, it's, I'm so glad to be here with you today and to share with you. Uh, thank you, Robin, for that beautiful reading from our passage in Exodus. Um, I've enjoyed so much the last few weeks of Jonah that Tim has led us through. Uh, what a rich message we've been given there. And next week, Mason is taking us back into Luke's gospel, which I'm really looking forward to as well. But today... I want to ask, what are some of your family traditions? When I was a kid, uh, we would sometimes wake up early on a Saturday and drive out to a national park out Dandenong and we'd collect some fallen sticks off the ground and get a campfire going and have sausages for breakfast uh, with damper and billy tea. And there was always a lot of... Bustle to prepare everything and get four kids in the car. Uh, I have a new appreciation for my parents now. Uh, But once we got out there in the still quietness of the morning, it was all totally worth it. Well, there is another family tradition that has been continuing every week without fail for about the last three and a half thousand years. It's the Sabbath that we heard about in our reading. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work. What what do you reckon about someone commanding you don't work? Okay, if you say so. You know, it seems a bit odd, doesn't it? I mean, I totally get the thou shalt not murder or steal I don't like it when people do either of those things to me, but do we really need to be commanded to have a weekend? Well, we are in a time right now when many of us have had to stop work. Yet, for many, the idea of rest seems further away than ever. My hope for today is that we see that there is so much more to the Sabbath than just having a day off now and then. It's not some life hack to achieve a healthy work-life balance that we're getting here. It is actually something life-changing, even world-changing. Would you please pray with me before we begin? Our Father God, you made this whole world, you made us, you love us, and every day you are calling us. So today, in your mercy, let us hear your voice with open hearts. Amen. The first question that we're going to ask today is, What is the Sabbath? Well, it's one of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Israel um, after delivering them from slavery in Egypt. Remember that whole business with Moses and the two stone tablets? And these Ten Commandments, they're not arbitrary rules on how to live a good life or some test to determine who gets to go to heaven when they die. No, these commandments are terms of the covenant between God and Israel. They're all about relationships, relational fidelity within community. And the Sabbath is central to this covenant. It is a critical marker by which Israel will demonstrate clear as day how their God, Yahweh, is categorically different from the other gods of the other nations around them. So they're given this command, on the seventh day, stop. That's where we get our word Sabbath. It comes from a Hebrew word which just literally means stop. But it also has some very strong associations with themes of completeness and wholeness and harmony of things working together in a way that is conducive to life and flourishing. So there's a bit of irony because at this point of the story, you've got this ragtag bunch of runaway Hebrew slaves wandering in the wilderness. And God says that through the Sabbath, even this desert will be to them like an abundant garden. And if we want to know what the Sabbath is, we also need to know what it does Now, confession time. I am not the handiest person that you're ever going to meet. You know, like Mason or Tim, you give those guys some bits of wood and bricks, and they'll literally build you a house. And when you're sitting there in your dream house that they built you, and the smoke detector batteries need changing, hey, I'm your guy. But beyond that, eh, you might want to call a professional. Listen, I am no expert with a hammer, but I can tell you what a hammer is. You've got this heavy bit of metal right, with a flat part on one side and like a sort of claw thing on the other. You put that on the end of a stick, and you can stop right there because it's hammer time. But if you really want to know what a hammer is, we can't just talk about it. You've got to see it in action. And when you see those nails getting driven into the wood, then all the parts of the hammer make perfect sense. So in the same way that hammers are for nails, what is the Sabbath for? Well, let's read it again. Do not oppress a foreigner because you were foreigners in Egypt. Leave the land unplowed, then the poor among your people may get food from it. On the seventh day do no work, so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. Okay. There it is. Here we see what the Sabbath is for. It's for the direct benefit of anyone who is less able to find provision and peace on their own terms. See, on days one through six, we're all working hard to ensure our survival. And let's be honest, it is human nature not only to work for these things, but to compete with each other for them. That's what we do, especially when resources are scarce. But the problem is, When we compete, somebody always misses out. And these somebodies are exactly where the Sabbath law shines its spotlight. The most vulnerable. The least able. The ones who are villainized when things are going badly. And patronized when things are going well. So, what do you get when the people who have the competitive advantage forfeit that advantage for a day, you get Sabbath. You get a reversal where the last are put first. On this day, the wealthy and the comfortable are to become servants of the poor and forsaken, not as charity, but as an act of covenantal grace. Did you hear how that passage ended so that they may be refreshed Now that word refreshed is loaded We're not just talking about a nice cool glass of lemonade on a hot day Now this word refresh conjures up that ancient story of the creator spirit breathing life into creation of taking a lump of clay and transforming it into a living human soul. Being refreshed here means a renewal of dignity and humanity for those robbed of it. Because on days one through six, you might be a slave, treated like someone's property, or, or you might be a foreigner, daily reminded that you don't belong here. Or you might be living in poverty and everyone suspects you must be lazy or unwise with your money to have ended up like this. But the seventh day is for you to be refreshed. On that day, the ground is leveled. The high are brought low and the low are welcomed in. And you know, when the strong become servants of the weak, through covenantal grace, everyone is refreshed. Both high and low are transformed from competitors to neighbors. If we are all made in God's image, then none of us can experience true peace until all of us can. And so in God's wisdom, he gave this day once a week where everyone might just catch a glimpse of a future reality where there is no slavery, where the people are not treated as objects, where the strong no longer dominate the weak, but become joyful servants for their freedom. Can you imagine that future world? How good it will be. Most of the time, we kind of forget that this is even possible, don't we? An old friend of mine from high school is now a pilot for Qantas, and years ago, he told me about something that he learned in training. There's this strange effect that can happen if you're flying for a length of time on an angle, like the plane might be only ever so slightly tilted, but given long enough, the fluid in your ears, which is where we get our sense of balance, it adjusts to the tilt, And that becomes your new normal. They've got a great name for this phenomenon. It's called the leans. Because when you finally level out the plane, it feels wrong to you. It feels like you've just started leaning to one side, even though in reality you've just become perfectly upright. And this gets us to our next point. We've seen what the Sabbath is, and now we'll ask, why do we need it? Well, we need the Sabbath because we were all born into a world that is leaning, unbalanced, at times disastrously. So we don't just need a shot of optimism, or to quote some feel-good verses of Scripture, or to work a bit harder on our morals. No, we need to be reborn. We need our minds to be renewed so that we can even begin to live in hope of God's promise. The Sabbath calls us to participate in God's promise, to bring the whole world into a peace that is forever new. What a promise. Do you believe it? I'm asking because I know that I can hear that promise, and yeah, I like the sound of it in my head, but my life is still unchanged. So, how do you believe a promise? Well, if your friend says they're coming over to dinner and you believe them, what do you do? You set their place at the table, you act on the promise. We have this amazing promise from God of the coming Sabbath that never ends let us believe and start preparing today in anticipation of it. You know, we often talk about the Sabbath as a day, like just as a weekly thing, but there's something surprising in this text. Let me read it again. Six days do your work. On the seventh day, do not work. Six years you are to sow your fields and harvest your crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. See that? Sabbath can't be only about a day because here we've got a whole Sabbath year too. It's like we've taken the principle of the seventh day and said, okay, every seventh year we're going to do the same kind of thing, but on an even bigger scale. And it doesn't stop there. Check this out. You might remember this scene from Luke chapter 4 that Mason preached on a few weeks ago, uh, where we've got this rando from the middle of nowhere named Jesus standing up in the synagogue and reading from the prophet Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of Yahweh is on me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of Yahweh's favor. And then he sits down and with everyone's eyes locked on him, he says, it's now. I'm bringing this today. See, right here, Jesus is giving his mission statement, what he's been anointed or commissioned to, to accomplish. And he's saying that he is right now fulfilling the year of the Lord's favor. What is this year of the Lord's favor? Well, it's a type of Sabbath. But even more than that, it's the supersized Sabbath. See, for regular Happy Meal Sabbath, we do like a single day, the seventh day of every week. And then we expand that and there is a Sabbath year every seventh year. Then, every 7 times 7 years that's the 49th year we do the Sabbath year as normal but when that year ends we just keep it rolling on into the 50th year and it gets bigger and badder than ever before so every 50 years is a special year sometimes called Jubilee or the year of the Lord's favour right? and in this 50th year Just say you're someone's slave. Not anymore, you're not. You're free. And in this 50th year, say you owe someone money, maybe a little bit, maybe a lot. That was the sound of all debts being cancelled. And remember when God brought the people of Israel into the promised land and it was divided up so that each family of each tribe would have their own homeland within it. Well, if at some point during the past 49 years, your family came into hard times and you had to sell off your ancestral land, come the 50th year and it is handed back to you for your children and grandchildren to grow up on. This is astoundingly good, right? I mean, think about what this does to the fabric of a society. Not only does it mean that every generation has a fresh opportunity to escape poverty because owning land in this context is a primary source of food and income, but also you've got entire families and communities refreshed, reunited with the land that carries all of their family identity and stories, and given back their status as equal sharers in the inheritance of God's children. So when Jesus says, I am here to proclaim jubilee, let that sink in. And when he starts going around, bringing outcasts back into community, restoring both the demon-possessed and the demonized to full human dignity, releasing people from sickness and death. In Jesus, we are seeing the Sabbath played out on a scale previously only dreamed of. So you would think that Sabbath is good news, right? Who wouldn't want to live in the Sabbath world in the perfect harmony that God made it for? Well, if I'm honest... Me, a lot of the time. There is a good reason why this Sabbath command is followed immediately by a warning about false gods. Because there are things that will prevent us from entering God's rest, that will deceive us into accepting a counterfeit. These false gods are the very powers and authorities that strive to keep our world forever leaning in one direction or another. And therefore, Sabbath is actually bad news for anyone like me who so easily gets comfortable with the way things are. Sabbath causes a disruption that makes me realize just how much I have adapted to this off-balance world. Let's have an example. Try and imagine yourself in this picture. Okay, it's New Year's Eve on the 49th year. Tomorrow, Jubilee begins. And in a little shack down the road, there is a mad party going on. They're doing the roast lamb, they're getting out the best wine, nothing held back. But the thing about this party, you could lay the table with a crust of stale bread and it would not dampen the mood one bit. Why? Because this shack is home to a family of slaves. And tomorrow, they're not going to be slaves anymore. This family owes massive debts. Lifetime debts. The kind that keep you awake at night. And tomorrow all their debts will be wiped clean. And most wonderful of all, they'll be moving back to the family land. Just picture in this, in this house, everyone huddled around, listening with glee to the grandmother who was telling stories about her childhood there. And all the family legends and memories that took place under certain trees and by particular creeks and valleys and fields. They're going to be up all night singing and packing their bags and dreaming of the new life that is about to dawn. But now imagine, you and me, we're not at that party in that rundown shack. No, we're we're in a nice big house, a house known for its lavish feasts and with lots of important and respectable guests. But there's no celebrating here tonight. Because tomorrow, we're going to lose a big stack of money. All those people who work our fields, we're going to have to start paying a wage now. I mean, that's going to cut into profits. Even this mansion we had built, tomorrow, that family from the shack down the road is moving in. It's going to be their home now and we will be moving back to our family land. So you can imagine, can't you, how some people might very strongly resist against this kind of Sabbath. It's interesting, isn't it? The very same event, for some, is experienced as liberation, for others, as loss. In this act of God, we see both mercy and justice intertwined, inseparable from each other. But you know, this doesn't have to be a bad night for those folk in the mansion. The Sabbath is not so much about old things ending as it is about new things beginning. Just think of the opportunity for new relationships and friendships to form if the people in the mansion were to get on board. For starters, they could provide much better food and drinks for the party. Hey, if they really got on board, they would realize they don't actually need to wait the whole 49 years to do this thing. Any day that is called today is a good day for Jubilee then everyone could really join in on one big party. God gave Sabbath as an invitation into relationship that crosses every barrier and breaks down every dividing wall. A relationship that goes vertically and horizontally as well. Because, hey, church, how do we express our love for God? by the way we care for each other, and especially by the way we show compassionate care for anyone who fits the description the least of these. By the way that we love those who are enemies to us, perhaps those to whom we are the enemy. But it's not going to be easy. It's going to take some practice. Today is the day to start preparing by becoming the kind of community where the future Sabbath Jesus promised can be welcomed into the present. We recalled that scene earlier from Luke chapter 4 where Jesus announces the arrival of Jubilee. And this notably takes place on the first of seven Sabbaths that Luke recorded in his gospel and on Sabbaths one through six we see Jesus welcoming this new reality into the world healing the sick, feeding the hungry releasing the captives, all that good stuff but what's he doing on the seventh and final Sabbath nothing having a rest? hmm Not exactly. He is lying down, though, but in a tomb. And so we have to ask, how did things end up this way? What put him there? Well, the truth is, our world is leaning much more than we realize. And all of us have adapted much more than we like to admit. Because at the cross we see revealed a world that claims to know justice and yet will send the innocent to a criminal's execution when it's convenient. And if someone were to refuse to play by the world's rules, but instead devote their life entirely for the sake of others, in compassion and generosity, welcoming the lowest and least into community with God, in this leaning world, they would be called a threat to law and order. And you know what? That is a fair cop, because there is no greater threat to the powers and authorities than for someone to live with the kind of uncompromising integrity, compassion, and enemy love that Jesus did. And that is why, when they found they couldn't flatter him Or bribe him, they just flip to the other pages of their playbook. Public humiliation, shame, death. They claim to be acting on God's behalf and upholding law and order. But at the cross, it is revealed that the kind of law and order they bring, the kind of God they worship, is one who demands human sacrifice. Even our own Australia fair has been advanced too long by the blood of the weak poured out on the altars of the strong. But the one true God, the God revealed in the Sabbath, would rather himself be sent to execution than spill even one drop of his enemy's blood. This is our God, unlike any other the Lord of the Sabbath. This is the length he will go to to heal the wounds of the world. This is the kind of love he has for you and me. He gladly gives up his place at the table of the mansion to go and dine in the shack of an outcast. Do you know, we cannot solve the problems of our world, even of our own hearts, simply by trying harder, or just waiting for things to get better? Like, since the time of the Exodus, there have been about 180,000 Sabbaths. And here we still are. But about 100,000 Sabbaths ago, something changed. In a few small Jewish communities here and there, They still celebrated Sabbath on a Saturday as usual. But then they continued on into the following day in a new tradition on the Sunday. Why did they do this? Because on the day before the Sabbath, which they named Good Friday, the powers and authorities brought every weapon they had against Jesus on the cross. But the day after the Sabbath, the Sunday, the authorities of this world were exposed as frauds. All their talk of power turned out to be one big bluff. How? Because all they can do is kill Jesus. But he refuses to stay dead. Do you know what this means? It means that Jesus has guaranteed and proven the trustworthiness of God's promise. The promise that no matter who you are, God will rescue all who take refuge in him, in his unfailing love. The promise that one day he will put right every wrong and that no darkness in the world can overpower his light. Isn't this someone worth following? What's stopping us? If we are truly to follow Jesus, it will at times be very difficult. And he will lead us to places we would not choose for ourselves. But brothers and sisters, fix your eyes on Jesus. If we can see something irresistibly good in him and follow him, he will give us eyes that can see with hope through the present trials to that great and final Sabbath day that will soon be here. And in all of those forsaken and rejected places that he has led us to, there will be great celebration for our long-awaited Deliverer has finally arrived. Let's pray. our God and maker of all. After months of lockdown, of struggle and emotional weariness, we are all aching for things to go back to normal. And we ask your mercy on us. But even as much as we want things to return to normal, I pray that you would put a vision of something even better in our hearts. Fill us with the hope of a renewed and refreshed world that you have promised and that your son, Jesus, has guaranteed. He has done it. And so in his name we pray. Amen.